Open the Bible together to the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 25 to 28. Please go ahead and grab a Bible from the back if you'd like to follow along. Acts, chapter 4, from verse 25. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So this is part of a a series that I'm doing on prayer. It's a little bit disjointed. We've had other speakers in between. But um, this is the third in this four-part series. And the first one we saw that um, God is a speaking God. He created through speaking and he created us in his image as speakers as well. So we relate to God fundamentally by speaking with him. We looked last week at the fact that God has dealt with our sin issue through his son, Jesus Christ, who's really the last Adam, the second Adam. So where the first Adam blew it through sinning, Jesus Christ came and completed all that Adam was meant to do. And when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we become sons of God. We're adopted into God's family. And so we pray fundamentally also because we are sons of God, daughters of God, adopted into the household of faith. And today, I'm going to look at the fact that we pray to our God who is sovereign. He's a sovereign God. It's a difficult subject. So my prayer for today is that this difficult subject will be made as plain and clear as possible. That's my goal. So let's pray and ask God's help in that. Father, we thank you so much that you are so capable, so able. You're able to do more than we ask or imagine because you are our sovereign Lord, our sovereign God. So help me as I preach, help us all to understand as we grapple with the scriptures, teach us what it means to pray to you as a sovereign God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When I went to China in 1990, I was a Bible courier with open doors. We were smuggling Bibles into China. I think enough time's gone by that I can say that now without fear of retribution from the Chinese authorities. And we were warned, there's a team of us went in there, we were warned not under any circumstances to uh, give money to anyone who asked us for money. So I couldn't quite understand why that was the case, but I learned one day when I was on a bus and we'd had a restroom stop, we, we were based in Hong Kong and we sometimes flew in, sometimes bussed in, sometimes went by boat into different parts of China and then we'd come back. This time it was a bus journey back. 
So we're waiting, there's a restroom stop, and um, I'd been to the restroom, got back on the bus, and a lady holding an emaciated child came up and knocked on my bus window. And I made the mistake of sliding the window open, and she pointed at herself and pointed at the child, and I thought, oh, it's only a few yuan. So I just gave her a couple of yuan, but it's not much at all, really, just basically 50 cents, Aussie. So uh, it was like firing a starter's gun. Bang! I had no idea how many beggars there were around. Some of them tried to get on the bus. They all flooded around my window. They're all putting in their hands. They're all wanting money. And I'm going, whoa! It's a struggle to close the window. Some of my other teammates were trying to get back on the bus. The poor old bus driver didn't know whether to close the door or what. I really created havoc that day. Then I knew instantly why we weren't to give out money to people. Some things we, we, we have to grasp on the strength of the fact that we're told and that there's good reason behind them even when we don't understand. I'll give you another simple example. 29 years ago, 1993, we moved from Queensland to Tassie. One of the things we were told in winter in Tassie, as the days get longer, the cold gets stronger. And I thought, that doesn't make much sense. Why would it be colder when the, the, the winter solstice is past and the days are getting longer? You've got more sunshine. Well, I know. I know now. I really agree with that. Two years ago, it snowed in August, two months past the solstice. There are some things you have to learn just by sheer experience. There's good logical reasons behind why we're told what we're told. I believe that God's sovereignty is one of those things. I'm not saying we need to believe it uh, unthinkingly, unquestioningly, but there's good solid reasons why we're told that God is a sovereign God. And that's what we're looking at today because that's the very phraseology, the very words used in the prayer. If you look at Acts 4 and verse 23, we're told on their release, Peter and John sent back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had done to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God, Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. They addressed God as sovereign Lord. And the context here is back in chapter 3 when Peter and John were going to the temple and a man who was born lame um, begged them for money, a bit like what I experienced. But Wiser than me, uh, Peter didn't give money. He said, silver and gold I don't have. What I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he reached out his hand and the bloke grabbed his hand and he stood up and he went walking and leaping and praising God. And it created a furore 
because people couldn't believe what they were seeing. They flocked around and they asked Peter, well, how did you do this? And Peter looked at them and said, it's not by our power or godliness that this man stands before you hold, whole. I want you to know it's in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that he stands before you, the one you wickedly took and crucified. God raised him from the dead, and it's in his name that this man now stands before you whole. And because it was late in the day, the leaders and the authorities, when they came and saw Peter and John, they, they said, well, we haven't got time to deal with this now. We don't like what's happening. And they arrested Peter and John. They held them overnight in prison. Then the next morning, they brought everyone out, including the healed man, and said to him, they, they said to James, uh, Peter and John, why, in what name have you done this? And they said exactly what they told the crowds the previous day. It's in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you took, you crucified, God raised him from the dead, it's in his name that this man stands before you whole. Now, they could see the evidence, but they didn't like the explanation. And they said to Peter and John, don't speak in that name anymore. But because of the crowds and because of the man, they didn't know what to do, so they released them after warning them once more, don't speak in this man's name. And Peter and John said to them, well... Uh, you answer, you figure out for yourself whether it's right to, to do this. God, should we trust God or should we trust you? We're going to trust God. We're going to keep speaking in his name. So they trusted in the sovereign God. So that's the context of this prayer. They come together. They go back to their friends. They all gather together and they pray to the sovereign Lord. Now, it's one of the few instances in the New Testament where we've got the actual words of what the early believers prayed. It's like a verbatim quoting of their prayer. Most of the time, there are prayers or things that we're told about what to pray for. We see it in Paul's letters. But this is what they actually prayed. And we know it's not the first time in the New Testament that that phrase, Sovereign Lord, is used. When Simeon went to the temple and he picked up baby Jesus in his arms, he said, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation. The martyrs in the book of Revelation, and they're crying out and they say, How long, Sovereign Lord, before you avenge our blood? How long, O Sovereign Lord? So this phrase, Sovereign Lord, is not uncommon in prayer in the New Testament. We need to take that on board. We need to take on board what it means to be praying to a Sovereign Lord, a God who has all authority in heaven and earth, because that's what it says here. You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And they quote Psalm 2. So they could see in Psalm 2 where the nations gather together and rise up against the Lord and his anointed. That's exactly what was happening to them. 
The powers that be didn't like the fact that they had healed this man in Jesus' name. So it's like a living example of Psalm 2 in action. And they knew from that psalm, he who sits in the heavens laughs. God will mock them. He who sits in the heavens does as he pleases. So they pray, Sovereign Lord, Sovereign Lord. Now, often we don't associate God's sovereignty with prayer. In fact, we see it as sometimes undermining the reason for prayer. Some people see God's sovereignty rather than as a motivation from prayer. It's almost like a reason not to pray. So I hear things like, if God is really sovereign, if he knows all things and he's predestined everything, why pray? What's the point of praying if God decides everything beforehand? If God's in control of all things? I can't see the point of praying to a sovereign God. Well, let's just flip that around for a moment. Put it another way. What would be the point of praying to a God who couldn't do those things? If God was not sovereign, was incapable because others could intervene and had, um, if you like, freedom of will to overrule his choices, you've kind of got an impasse. Why pray to a God who can't do what you want him to do? or who can't do what he says he will do? What would be the point of praying if God couldn't answer what we requested? If that were the case, there really wouldn't be any point at all, would there? Prayer to a God who isn't sovereign would be a pointless exercise. So think about this. There's... There's no point lobbying the Prime Minister's gardener about a change in law, is there? You don't go to the gardener. He's got no influence. He's got no authority. No one knows him. Probably the Prime Minister doesn't even know him. But people pay an awful lot of money and exert an awful lot of energy to get the Prime Minister's ear because he's got influence. He's got power. The early church knew this. For instance, with the change in, in laws that are proposed from the Tasmanian Law Reform Institute, a number of the pastors this coming week on Friday afternoon are going to talk to the Deputy Premier about them to get his ear. We have freedom to do that. Others are lobbying and doing that. We can do that too. So we're going there because he's got influence and authority. He's also a Christian. So we use what authority we have in the processes available to us. And the early church understood this well. They went straight to the sovereign Lord. They said, oh God, hear their threatenings. Give us boldness. May we not, speak, may we not speak, stop speaking in your name. Help us to trust that you are able to make all things work together for good. You're the sovereign Lord who made heaven and earth. That's the substance of their prayer. So the early Christians took inspiration from scripture. 
Inspiration from examples where Daniel kept praying and the sovereign Lord brought about a marvellous victory. Where Esther kept praying and the Lord brought about a marvellous victory. They trusted in a God who could do what they could not do. And it's humility on our part to recognise that God is God and we are not. He is sovereign and we are not. He is able to do what we cannot do. To him belong the glory and the power and the majesty and the authority forever and ever. Not to us, O Lord, not to our name, but to your name be glory and honour and praise. That's the logic of the sovereignty of God in prayer. What is the point of praying to the sovereign Lord if he's not truly sovereign, lacks the wisdom, authority and control to do as he pleases? And what kind of God would we be praying to if we understood all his motives, all, all the reasons why he's done what he said he would do and what he wants to do? The issue that we struggle most with is trying to fit together how God can be sovereign and how we can be responsible. Let me just give a little example. A girl, say it's a little girl, and she, she wants an ice cream. Maybe she's at the, the, the Launceston show. Mummy, can I have an ice cream? So mummy gives her an ice cream. And she thinks, wow, that was so nice. I'd like a second, third and fourth ice cream. So she goes back to mum and says, can I have another ice cream? And mum says, no. She's perplexed. She scratches her head. She said, I asked her once and she gave me an ice cream and it was really nice. I ask again and she says, no. But there's another logic at work. Mum's logic. Mum knows, unlike the little girl, if she has two, three, four ice creams, one, she's going to get sick, and if this sets a pattern down the track, she's going to get obese. It's not good for her. She doesn't understand this, though. God, when we pray to him, knows more than we could ask or imagine. He understands all things. It's humility on our part to recognise that. We pray to a God who understands, who knows. His logic is higher than ours. Just um, listen to these words that I want to read to you from Isaiah. Isaiah says this. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From the east I summon a bird of prey, from a far off land a man to fulfil my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. Isaiah 46, 9 to 11. So it's far, far wiser and better for us. It's a better line of thinking for us to think God's thoughts after him. To take on board the fact of who God says he is 
and be like the early church and pray to a God who is sovereign who can do more than they ask or imagine and more than we can ask or imagine. Instead of going along the lines of this, this is a false kind of way of looking at prayer that really does concern me. And I've heard it said, prayer changes things. Now you, th you think about that. If you unpack it, the idea is that by praying, it's like we twist God's arm and get him to do things that he wouldn't otherwise do. As if there's some reluctance on God's part to do things. God is not reluctant. God is not incapable. It's not as though prayer unlocks things so that now things can happen that if we hadn't prayed couldn't happen. What we need to understand is that prayer is where, where we get on board with God's agenda. Prayer is how we climb onto with confidence the platform of the God who's able to do more than we ask or imagine. So when we trust in a sovereign God and we pray, we're starting to think and bring our thoughts into alignment with his and we're starting to realise, yes, Lord, I really need you to give me boldness to keep preaching in your name because left to me, I'm scared. I'll back down. I, I, I'll, I'll let you down. I won't do things that I need to be doing. Will you strengthen me? And when the early church prayed like this, the place where they were was shaken. Their world was shaken. So prayer actually says, because God is sovereign, I'm going to pray to him. I'm going to get on board with his plans and his purposes. He will do all his holy will, and I want to be part of it. That's a much better way of thinking about prayer rather than thinking prayer changes things. It's not prayer changes things. It's God that changes things. God. He's the sovereign God. It's not our prayers. The issue that we struggle with, as I mentioned, is that trying to hold those two things together. And I just want to talk a little bit about that because I think I need to address it. To understand the relationship between God's actions and ours, it's helpful to distinguish between different kinds of causes. Say I, I get in my car and I drive to Hobart. There, if you like, are different causes behind my driving to Hobart. At one level, the answer is the engine or the petrol took me there. That's the power. That's, that's how I got there. At another level is I drove the car and we got there. Another level is my friend invited me and I felt inclined to accept the offer and so I went to Hobart. In, in some sense, all of those are the cause, but, but one is primary and the others are secondary. The primary cause is my friend invited me and I felt inclined to go. So I went to Hobart and the car had the, the power to take me there, etc. So it is with God. He's primary, 
Behind all things is a God who is able to do more than we ask or imagine. That's what we need to take on board with prayer. And we need to hold two things together, and it's called compatibilism. God is sovereign. We're responsible creatures. God's sovereign. It's his sovereignty never functions in such a way as to make my human responsibility of no account. Human beings are morally responsible to God, but significantly we choose and rebel and obey and believe and defy and make decisions and so forth, and they are rightly held accountable for such actions, but never functioning in such a way as to make God's sovereignty subject to our choices. The two belong together like a set of railway tracks. Bible holds them together. God is sovereign and we're responsible. Our natural inclination is to try and make them fit together, marry them. And I don't know how you marry them. I think the Bible just says, God's sovereign, we're responsible, trust me in that logic. I'm able to do what you cannot do. It's kind of mum's logic with the ice cream. It's God who has the authority and the power, but we're still responsible to repent and believe the good news. Acts 17.30 says, God commanded men everywhere to repent and believe the gospel. But we know from Ephesians and other parts of Scripture, we cannot repent and believe unless God gives us the grace to do that. Acts 11.28 says, So God has granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. It's the gift of God. So we cannot be arbiters of God's logic. We cannot start telling him how he should be running the universe or how these things fit together. He knows that full well. Our purpose is to come on board and trust what he's said he is able to do and to pray that he will do it. So Acts 5.31, Jesus was raised so that God might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to people everywhere, all over the world. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. Dead people can't bring themselves to life. They they can't do anything. Only God's power can do that. As Jesus himself said, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So salvation is in God's hands. We are responsible for our choices and actions. How those things fit together, we don't fully know in this life. But we do know this, that authority is the basis for responsibility. Let me just give uh, a brief explanation of that. The term free will, I think, creates confusion. A drunk driver doesn't have free will. He's not free to drive as he needs to drive. He's under the influence of alcohol. He's not free. Sin has deeply affected us. We are no longer free to function with true freedom. Our bias is against God. There's, There's no real freedom after the fall. Adam had freedom before the fall. After the fall, 
free will went out the door. But responsibility didn't go out the door. An example. So your boss comes to you and says, John, I've got the task, just the task for you. I, I, I want you to undertake this role, this job, and I'm going to hold you responsible for it. And you, you can't go back to the boss and say, oh, no, I can't possibly have responsibility for that because that's your responsibility. He says, I'm giving you the responsibility. Trust me. That's the basis of accountability is responsibility. God has the authority and he gives us the responsibility. That's why he can hold us accountable. So the Bible's understanding of God's sovereignty and salvation is not either or reasoning, but both and. We can never say, oh, if God's sovereign, I don't need to repent. If I'm elect, I'll be saved regardless. I just sit back and twiddle my thumbs. Nor can we say, oh, well, it's not my fault. I'm not elect. I can't repent and believe. Acts 17.30 is very clear. God commands all people everywhere to repent. His sovereign authority calls every single human being to account. So it shouldn't surprise us that it's just the same when it comes to prayer. We can never say, God is sovereign, so I don't need to pray. Well, God is sovereign, so there's no point in praying. Biblical logic says, God's sovereign, therefore not only can I pray, but I must pray and I want to pray and I will pray. So think about God's sovereignty in prayer. Think about what Jesus said with the Great Commission. I just, just want to read these words to you. The harvest is plentiful, the labourers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into the harvest. Do you see what he's saying? The sovereign Lord has decreed that the harvest is plentiful. There shall be a harvest in the kingdom. We pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray to a God who's got a harvest. He's got his kingdom purposes. He is sovereign in salvation. Therefore, says the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to pray earnestly to him. Pray, therefore, to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest field, even though he's commanded it, he's determined it. Prayer aligns us with God's plans and purposes and thoughts. And by doing this, we become part of accomplishing his great goal. So I just want to close with this illustration for you. This last week we saw the Socceroos and they, uh, pe the penalty shootout and the, the, the Aussie goalie saved the, the goal. And he went wild and we saw him sitting there going... Doing, he was ecstatic and the, and the team jumped on him. Now, you may not be a soccer fan. I don't know. I'm not overly a soccer fan, but I do know a bit about it. Our kids played soccer. One thing I do know is that 
One of the most famous soccer teams in the world is Manchester United. Until 2013, Sir Alex Ferguson was the manager of Manchester United. Under his uh, management, they had unprecedented number of victories, astonishing um, European Cup victories, and I can't think of all the terms that they use over there. But they really had some victory. Now imagine this. Imagine it's the final game of the season. In soccer, you don't play grand finals. It's just taken on how you go through the season. At the end of the season, the one that finishes on top of the table is the grand finals. They've won. So it's the end of the, the season. Manchester United is heading up the table. They're guaranteed the cup because they're playing the lowest team in the league that struggled all season. There's 10 minutes to go and they're up 6-0. And so Alex says, I want you on my team. Get on the pitch. I want you to be part of the victory celebration. That gives us a kind of a small picture of what it must be like for us in our prayers to come on board with God's team. Or another analogy would be God's family business. If we're sons of God, he's brought us into his household of faith, he's adopted us, and prayer is how we come on board with the family business and think God's thoughts after him. Look at what happened here in Luke 4. When they prayed to the sovereign God, the place where they were was shaken. They were given boldness and they proclaimed the word of God boldly. Verse 33, sorry, 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. The next section, the believers share their possessions. God gave them more than they asked or imagined. He gave them the capacity to set aside their selfishness and start to contribute common goods and possessions. No one commanded it, they just volunteered it. God is a sovereign God. Simeon knew that when he held up Jesus, baby Jesus in his arms. Sovereign Lord, let your servant depart in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation. The early church knew they prayed to a sovereign God. They were responsible to him. He had the power and authority. They came to him to do what he alone could do. And he did it. They trusted him. It's humility on our part to pray like that. When we do that, we come on board with God's plans and purposes in a powerful, powerful way. It's not so much what we pray for, or, but what motivates our praying. The more we think God's thoughts after him, the more we'll rejoice in talking those thoughts over with him and inviting others to do the same. We pray because God is a sovereign God. If he were not, why bother praying? We couldn't even pray at all. There's absolutely no point praying to a God who is not the sovereign Lord. Let's pray.
Our Father and our God, we, we acknowledge that there's so much mystery here. We know the term predestination occurs in Scripture. That you have decided beforehand what you would accomplish by your power and authority. We cannot deny that. How that can be, we struggle with. We don't fully understand it. We are very much like that little girl wanting the ice cream. Your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We come to you in the confidence of the God who's revealed himself to Isaiah as I will do all that I purpose and please. None can stay my hand. None can stop me. Oh, I pray, Father, that you would help us to see that these things are not incompatible to pray to a sovereign God. Help us to see, Lord, and to draw near in confidence that we pray to a God who is able to do more than we ask or imagine. Show us the way ahead, Father, that we would honour you as the sovereign God, trust in you believingly, even for little things. We would come to you about our appointments, our holidays, when we're not feeling well, when we're disappointed. But we would come to you also with the big things, knowing that you care about us. That all things, Father, teach us to pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, as well as give us this day our daily bread. As well as forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Will you teach us, Lord, to draw near to you? Because yours is the kingdom and the power and the authority now and forever. Amen.